0: chapter six of the border legion by zane gray this librivox recording is in the public domain when joan returned to consciousness she was lying half outside the opening of the cabin and above her was a drift of blue gun smoke slowly floating upward almost as swiftly as perception of that smoke came a shuddering memory she lay still listening She did not hear a sound except the tinkle and babble and gentle rush of the brook. Kells was dead then, and overmastering the horror of her act was a relief, a freedom, a lifting of her soul out of the dark dread, a something that whispered justification of the fatal deed. She got up and, avoiding to look within the cabin, walked away. The sun was almost at the zenith where had the morning hours gone i must get away she said suddenly the thought quickened her down the canyon the horses were grazing she hurried along the trail trying to decide whether to follow this dim old trail or endeavor to get out the way she had been brought in she decided upon the latter if she traveled slowly and watched for familiar landmarks things she had seen once and hunted carefully for the tracks she believed she might be successful she had the courage to try then she caught her pony and led him back to camp what shall i take she pondered she decided upon very little a blanket a sack of bread and meat and a canteen of water she might need a weapon also there was only one the gun with which she had killed kells it seemed utterly impossible to touch that hateful thing but now that she had liberated herself and at such cost she must not yield to sentiment resolutely she started for the cabin but when she reached it her steps were dragging the long dull blue gun lay where she had dropped it and out of the tail of averted eyes she saw a huddled shape along the wall it was a sickening moment when she reached the shaking hand for the gun and at that instant a low moan transfixed her she seemed frozen rigid was the place already haunted her heart swelled in her throat and a dimness came before her eyes but another moan brought a swift realization kells was alive and the cold clamping sickness the strangle in her throat all the feelings of terror changed and were lost in a flood of instinctive joy he was not dead she had not killed him she did not have blood on her hands she was not a murderer she whirled to look at him there he lay ghastly as a corpse and all her woman's gladness fled but there was compassion left to her and forgetting all else she knelt beside him he was as cold as stone she felt no stir no beat of pulse in temple or wrist. Then she placed her ear against his breast. His heart beat weakly. He's alive, she whispered, but he's dying. What shall I do? Many thoughts flashed across her mind. She could not help him now. He would be dead soon. She did not need to wait there beside him. There was a risk of some of his comrades riding into the rendezvous. Suppose his back was not broken after all. Suppose she had stopped the flow of blood tending him nursed him saved his life for if there were one chance of his living which she doubted it must be through her would he not be the same savage the hour he was well and strong again what difference could she make in such a nature the man was evil he could not conquer evil she had been witness to that he had driven roberts to draw and had killed him no doubt he had deliberately and coldly murdered the two ruffians bill and holloway just so he could be free of their glances at her and be alone with her he deserved to die there like a dog what joan randall did was surely a woman's choice carefully she rolled kells over the back of his vest and shirt was wet with blood she got up to find a knife towel and water as she returned to the cabin he moaned again joan had dressed many a wound she was not afraid of blood the difference was that she had shed it she felt sick but her hands were firm as she cut open the vest and shirt rolled them aside and bathed his back the big bullet had made a gaping wound having apparently gone through the small of his back the blood still flowed she could not tell whether or not kell's spine was broken but she believed that the bullet had gone between bone and muscle or had glanced there was a blue welt just over his spine in line with the course of the wound she tore her scarf into strips and used it for compresses and bandages then she laid him back upon a saddle blanket she had done all that was possible for the present and it gave her a strange sense of comfort she even prayed for his life and if that must go for his soul then she got up he was unconscious white deathlike it seemed that his torture his near approach to death had robbed his face of ferocity of ruthlessness and of that strange amiable expression but then his eyes those furnace windows were closed joan waited for the end to come the afternoon passed and she did not leave the cabin it was possible that he might come to and want water she had once administered to a miner who had been fatally crushed in an avalanche and never could forget his husky call for water and the gratitude in his eyes sunset twilight and night fell upon the canyon and she began to feel solitude as something tangible bringing saddle and blankets into the cabin she made a bed just inside and facing the opening and the stars she lay down to rest if not sleep the darkness did not keep her from seeing the prostrate figure of kells he lay there as silent as if he were already dead she was exhausted weary for sleep and unstrung in the night her courage fled and she was frightened at shadows the murmuring of insects seemed augmented into a roar the mourn of wolf and scream of cougar made her start the rising wind moaned like a lost spirit dark fancies beset her troop on troop of specters moving out of the black night assembling there waiting for kells to join them she thought she was riding homeward over the back trail sure of her way remembering every rod of that rough travel, until she got out of the mountains, only to be turned back by dead men. Then fancy and dream, and all that haunted gloom of canyon and cabin seemed slowly to merge into one immense blackness. The sun, rimming the east wall, shining into Joan's face, awakened her. She had slept hours. She felt rested stronger. Like the night, Something dark had passed away from her. It did not seem strange to her that she should feel that Kells still lived. She knew it, and examination proved her right in him. There had been no change except that he had ceased to bleed. There was just a flickering of life in him, manifest only in his slow, faint heartbeats. Joan spent most of that day in sitting beside Kells. The whole day seemed only an hour. Sometimes she would look down the canyon trail, half expecting to see horsemen riding up. If any of Kells's comrades happened to come, what could she tell them? They would be as bad as he, without that one trait which had kept him human for a day. Joan pondered upon this. It would never do to let them suspect she had shot Kells so carefully cleaning the gun she reloaded it if any men came she would tell them that bill had done the shooting kells lingered joan began to feel that he would live though everything indicated the contrary her intelligence told her he would die and her feelings said he would not at times she lifted his head and got water into his mouth with a spoon when she did this he would moan that night during the hours she lay awake she gathered courage out of the very solitude and loneliness she had nothing to fear unless someone came to the canyon the next day it nowise differed from the preceding and then there came the third day with no change in kells till near evening when she thought he was returning to consciousness but she must have been mistaken for hours she watched patiently He might return to consciousness just before the end and want to speak, to send a message, to ask a prayer, to feel a human hand at the last. That night the crescent moon hung over the canyon. In the faint light, Joan could see the blanched face of Kells, strange and sad, no longer seeming evil. The time came when his lips stirred. He tried to talk. She moistened his lips and gave him a drink. He murmured incoherently, sank again into a stupor, to rouse once more and babble like a madman. Then he lay quietly for long, so long that sleep was claiming Joan. Suddenly he startled her by calling very faintly but distinctly, Water, water. Joan bent over him, lifting his head, helping him to drink. She could see his eyes, like dark holes in something white is that you mother he whispered yes replied joan he sank immediately into another stupor or sleep from which he did not rouse the whisper of his mother touched joan bad men had mothers just the same as any other kind of men even this kells had a mother he was still a young man he had been youth boy child baby some mother had loved him cradled him kissed his rosy baby hands watched him grow with pride and glory, built castles in her dreams of his manhood, and perhaps prayed for him still, trusting he was strong and honored among men. And here he lay, a shattered wreck, dying for a wicked act, the last of many crimes. It was a tragedy. It made Joan think of the hard lot of mothers and then of this unsettled western wild, where men flocked in pack like wolves, and spilled blood like water, and held life nothing. Joan sought her rest and soon slept. In the morning she did not at once go to Kells. Somehow she dreaded finding him conscious, almost as much as she dreaded the thought of finding him dead. When she did bend over him, he was awake, and at sight of her he showed a faint amaze. "'Joan,' he whispered. "'Yes,' she replied. "'Are you?' with me still of course i couldn't leave you the pale eyes shadowed strangely darkly i'm alive yet and you stayed was it yesterday you threw my gun on me no four days ago four is my back broken i don't know i don't think so it's a terrible wound i-i did all i could you tried to kill me then tried to save me She was silent to that. You're good, and you've been noble, he said, but I wish you'd only been bad. Then I'd curse you and strangle you presently. Perhaps you best be quiet, replied Joan. No, I've been shot before. I'll get over this if my back's not broken. How can we tell? I've no idea. Lift me up. But you might open your wound, protested Joan. Lift me up. The force of the man spoke even in his low whisper. But why, why? asked Joan. I want to see if I can sit up. If I can't, give me my gun. I won't let you have it, replied Joan. Then she slipped her arms under his and carefully, raising him to a sitting position, released her hold. I'm a rank coward about pain, he gasped. With thick drops standing out on his white face. I can't stand it. But tortured or not, he sat up alone and even had the will to bend his back. Then, with a groan, he fainted and fell into Joan's arms. She laid him down and worked over him for some time before she could bring him to. Then he was wan, suffering, speechless. But she believed he would live and told him so. He received that with a strange smile later when she came to him with broth he drank it gratefully i'll beat this out he said weakly i'll recover my back's not broken i'll get well now you bring water and food in here then go go she echoed yes don't go down the canyon you'll be worse off take the back trail you've got a chance to get out go leave you here so weak you can't lift a cup i won't i'd rather you did why because in a few days i'll begin to mend then i'll grow like myself i think-i'm afraid i loved you it could only be hell for you go now before it's too late if you stay till i'm well i'll never let you go kells i believe it would be cowardly for me to leave you here alone she replied earnestly you can't help yourself you'd die all the better but i won't die i'm hard to kill go i tell you she shook her head this is bad for you arguing you're excited please be quiet joan randall if you stay i'll halter you keep you naked in a cave curse you beat you murder you oh it's in me go i tell you you're out of your head once for all no she replied firmly you you his voice failed in a terrible whisper in the succeeding days kells did not s- often speak his recovery was slow a matter of doubt nothing was any plainer than the fact that if joan had left him he would not have lived long she knew it and he knew it when he was awake and she came to him a mournful and beautiful smile lit his eyes the sight of her apparently hurt him and uplifted him, but he slept twenty hours out of every day, and while he slept he did not need Joan. She came to know the meaning of solitude. There were days when she did not hear the sound of her own voice. A habit of silence, one of the significant forces of solitude, had grown upon her. Daily she thought less and felt more. For hours she did nothing. When she roused herself compelled herself to think of these encompassing peaks of the lonely canyon walls the stately trees all those eternally silent and changeless features of her solitude she hated them with a blind and unreasoning passion she hated them because she was losing her love for them because they were becoming a part of her because they were fixed and content and passionless She liked to sit in the sun, feel its warmth, see its brightness, and sometimes she almost forgot to go back to her patient. She fought at times against an insidious change, a growing older, a going backward. At other times she drifted through hours that seemed quiet and golden, in which nothing happened. And by and by, when she realized that the drifting hours were gradually swallowing up, the restless and active hours then strangely she remembered jim cleve memory of him came to save her she dreamed of him during the long lonely solemn days and in the dark silent climax of unbearable solitude the night she remembered his kisses forgot her anger and shame accepted the sweetness of their meaning and so in the interminable hours of her solitude she dreamed herself into love for him, Joan kept some record of days until three weeks or thereabout passed, and then she lost track of time. It dragged along yet looked at as the past. it seemed to have sped swiftly. The change in her, the growing old, the revelation and responsibility of serf as a woman made this experience appear to have extended over months. Kell slowly became convalescent and then he had a relapse something happened the nature of which joan could not tell and he almost died there were days when his life hung in the balance when he could not talk and then came a perceptible turn for the better the store of provisions grew low and joan began to face another serious situation deer and rabbit were plentiful in the canyon but she could not kill one with a revolver she thought she would be forced to sacrifice one of the horses. The fact that Kell suddenly showed a craving for meat brought this aspect of the situation to a climax. And that very morning, while Joan was pondering the matter, she saw a number of horsemen riding up the canyon toward the cabin. At the moment she was relieved and experienced nothing of the dread she had formerly felt while anticipating this very event kells she said quickly there are men riding up the trail good he exclaimed weakly with a light on his drawn face they've been long in getting here how many joan counted them five riders and several pack animals yes it's Golden." "Golden!" cried joan with a start her exclamation and tone made kells regard her attentively you've heard of him he's the toughest nut on this border i never saw his like you won't be safe i'm so helpless what to say to tell him joan if i should happen to croak you want to get away quick or shoot yourself how strange to hear this bandit warn her of a peril the like of which she had encountered through him joan secured the gun and hid it in a niche between the logs then she looked out again the riders were close at hand now the foremost one a man of herculean build jumped his mount across the brook and leaped off while he hauled the horse to a stop the second rider came close behind him the others approached leisurely with the gait of the pack animals ho kells called the big man his voice had a loud bold sonorous kind of ring reckon he's here somewheres said the other man presently sure i seen his horse jack ain't going to be far from that horse then both of them approached the cabin joan had never before seen two such striking vicious-looking awesome men the one was huge so wide and heavy and deep-set that he looked short and he resembled a gorilla the other was tall slim with a face as red as flame and an expression of fierce keenness he was stoop-shouldered yet he held his head erect in a manner that suggested a wolf scenting blood someone here Pierce boomed the big man why gull if it ain't a girl joan moved out of the shadow of the wall of the cabin and she pointed to the prostrate figure on the blankets howdy boys said kells wanly Golden cursed in amaze while Pierce dropped to his knee with an exclamation of concern They both began to talk at once. Kells interrupted them by lifting a weak hand. ''No, I'm not going to cash,'' he said. ''I'm only starved and in need of stimulants. Had my back half shot off.'' ''Who plugged you, Jack?'' ''Gulden. It was your side partner, Bill.'' ''Bill?'' ''Gulden's voice held a queer, coarse constraint. Then he added gruffly, ''Thought you and him pulled together.'' well we didn't and where's bill now this time joan heard a slow curious cold note in the heavy voice and she interpreted it as either doubt or deceit bill's dead in holloway too replied kells gulden turned his massive shaggy head in the direction of joan she had not the courage to meet the gaze upon her the other man spoke split over the girl jack no replied kell sharply they tried to get familiar with my wife and i shot them both joan felt a swift leap of hot blood all over her and then a coldness a sickening a hateful weakness wife ejaculated Golden. your real wife jack queried pierce well i guess i'll introduce you joan here are two of my friends sam Golden and red pierce Golden, grunted something. Mrs. Kells, I'm glad to meet you, said Pierce. Just then the other three men entered the cabin, and Joan took advantage of the commotion they made to get out into the air. She felt sick, frightened, and yet terribly enraged. She staggered a little as she went out, and she knew she was pale as death. These visitors thrust reality upon her with a cruel suddenness. There was something terrible, in the mere presence of this golden, She had not yet dared to take a good look at him. But what she felt was overwhelming. She wanted to run, yet escape was now infinitely more of a menace than before. If she slipped away, it would be these new enemies who would pursue her, track her like hounds. She understood why Kells had introduced her as his wife. She hated the idea with a shameful and burning hate but a moment's reflection taught her that Kells had answered once more to a good instinct. At the moment he had meant that to protect her. A further reflection persuaded Joan that she would be wise to act naturally and to carry out the deception as far as it was possible for her. It was her only hope. Her position had again grown perilous. She thought of the gun she had secreted, and it gave her strength to control her agitation and returned to the cabin outwardly calm. The man had Kells half-turned over, with the flesh of his back exposed. "'Ah, Gull, it's whiskey he needs,' said one. "'If you let out any more blood, he'll croak. Sure,' protested another. "'Look how weak he is,' said Red Pierce. "'It's a hell of a lot you know,' roared Golden. "'I served my time, but that's none of your business. "'Look here. See that blue spot? Gulden pressed a huge finger down upon the blue welt on Kells's back. The bandit moaned. That's lead, that's the bullet, declared Gulden. Well, if you ain't correct, exclaimed Pierce. Kells turned his head. When you punched that place, it made me numb all over. Gull, if you've located the bullet, cut it out. Joan did not watch the operation. As she went away to the seat under the balsam, she heard a sharp cry and then cheers evidently the grim golden had been both swift and successful presently the men came out of the cabin and began to attend to their horses and the pack train pierce looked for joan and upon seeing her he called out kells wants you joan found a bandit half propped up against a saddle with a damp and pallid face but an altogether different look joan that bullet was pressing on my spine, he said. Now it's out. All that deadness is gone. I feel alive. I'll get well soon. Golden was curious over the bullet. It's a forty-four caliber, and neither Bill Bailey nor Halloway used that caliber of gun. Golden remembered. He's cunning. Bill was as near being a friend to this Golden as any man I know of. I can't trust any of these men, particularly Golden you stay pretty close by me kells you'll let me go soon help me get home implored joan in a low voice girl it'd never be safe now he replied then later soon when it is safe we'll see but you're my wife now with the latter words the man subtly changed something of the power she had felt in him before his illness began again to be manifested joan divined That these comrades had caused a difference in him you won't dare joan was unable to conclude her meaning a tight band compressed her breast and throat and she trembled will you dare go out there and tell them you're not my wife he queried his voice had grown stronger and his eyes were blending shadows of thought joan knew that she dared not she must choose the lesser of two evils no man "'Could be such a beast to a woman after she saved his life,' she whispered. "'I could be anything. "'You had your chance. "'I told you to go. "'I said if I ever got well, I'd be as I was before.' "'But you'd have died. "'That would have been better for you, Joan. "'I'll do this. "'Marry you honestly and leave the country. "'I've gold. "'I'm young. "'I love you. "'I intend to have you. "'And I'll begin life over again. "'What do you say?' "'Say?' i'd die before i'd marry you she panted all right joan randall he replied bitterly for a moment i saw a ghost my old dead better self it's gone and you stay with me chapter six